I'm Nina, a co-founder of the PRISM Awards and the Queer Comics Expo and program coordinator at the Cartoon Art Museum in Flower Child, San Francisco. And I'm Jessica. I am a meat popsicle. Welcome to the Queer Comics Podcast. Welcome to the Queer Comics Podcast, full of flowers and meat popsicles. Uh, Today we're talking about animation nostalgia and the queering of classic animation. So we want to kind of wade in with My Little Pony, which actually started as My Pretty Pony, which could be a queer nickname, I think. That's interesting. So it started as My Pretty Pony? At the very beginning, it it was named My Pretty Pony. I'm not entirely sure why the name change. What year was it? The first one, My Little Pony and Friends. The show is based off of the Hasbro toys, yes, which were obviously. My Pretty Pony. So it's a, it's the Hasbro toys that were originally My Pretty Pony, and then eventually became My Little Pony, and mm. that's that's what's been continuous since. I then. think my thought might be that calling something My Pretty Pony. Probably somebody was like, do we really want kids going around talking about my, they're my pretty ponies? You know, maybe that, that's the only thing I can think is that somebody was a little uptight about that phrasing and was like, well, how about we just say my little pony? They're little ponies. Yeah. Look, it's like, like my littlest pet shop, which was, I think later the the toy line, littlest pet shop stuff that they have now is super creepy. Um, Okay. Creepy creepy dolls they have the big eyes the the same oh. way that like the beanie baby things went that Wait, direction be- beanie baby uh. okay are they more like brat dolls because i those freak me out kind of like I guess, I guess you could say that if i found a brat doll in a kid's house i would throw it away <laughs> be like it's haunted i'm like i'm doing you favors it's haunted and it's horrible so my little pony and friends with like the n apostrophe because uh, that's what was cool in 1986 when I was born. Same. Um, we were born in the same yeah. year. Yeah. I always yeah. forget that. Mm-hmm. The the first iteration, and then there was a uh, reboot with My Little Pony Tales in 1992. Then the version that we know today, Friendship is Magic, which uh, was sort of headlined by Lauren Faust was really pushing and developing the new line and the new iteration of My Little Ponies as this great grounds for role models for young girls and actually ended up being great series that was adored by not just young girls but young boys and older women and older men as well bringing us the Bronies culture which has had its ups and downs. Overall I really enjoyed the show uh, and then they kind of they jumped the horse when they <laughs> did uh, Equestria Girls from 2013 to 2017. So it actually had a decent run, but I think a lot of the fans from Friendship is Magic had a really hard time with the transition. Is Equestria to... Girls about girls riding My Little Ponies? No, it's about girls that look like My Little Ponies, but they're anthropomorphic they're... human mm-hmm. horses. No. So it's like the horses anthropomorphize to look more like people. It's called Equestria Girls? Yes. Yeah. I I have to admit, I haven't watched it, so I can't fully oh, form I'm, an I'm opinion on the, it. Uh, okay, but I just okay. have a really hard time with it aesthetically. It's... Okay. I'm looking at it. I'm like, that's... 
That's a lot. They did use a fair amount of characters and sort of reimagine them from the original series for our conversation Mm -hmm. means here. I really just wanted to touch on three characters that really feel like they possessed a queer sensibility to them either then and or now. The first one I'm going to go over is actually uh, Spike. Uh, And are you, Jessica, familiar with who Spike is? Nope. I'm not All a right. I'll be honest, I like I played with my little ponies when I was little and I'm I'm familiar with the bronies culture. Like I've seen the there's that documentary. Other than that, I'm not familiar with like the individual characters. So yeah. Spike is a purple dragon and he's a young dragon and he hangs out with the My Little Ponies because why not? <laughs> the original My Little Pony did also have a lot of influence with not quite being f- like fantasy kingdoms and knights and things like that, but you could feel an influence about it from the aesthetic of the show and the the different characters that were created. Plus, they're, they're from a kingdom and there are other kingdoms. It kind of isn't a lot of shows that were being developed uh, at that time. Mm-hmm. It was this sort of everything felt like... <laughs> It harkened back to being based on a like fantasy influence in some way or another. Well, yeah, but, anytime you introduce kingdoms. Yeah. yeah. So Spike was one of my favorite characters from the original series. And looking back at it now, he kind of felt like he was the queer male character hanging out with all his straight female friends, but wasn't out to anybody so that was kind of the the take that I had then, and it's very interesting because now I feel he, like what 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 is he the only male character on the show? No, oh, um, okay. there are male ponies, but mm-hmm. they are they are kind of like far and few between. So for about every I guess seven to ten female identified as far as we know My Little Pony characters, there was like one maybe male identified my little pony character like it, it was definitely a extensively heavily female dom- dominated society that they're presenting in the in the my little pony series yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's like for sure <laughs> yeah like that's um, definitely like even though i know that there are a lot of men who are fans of it if it's if something's good then it's gonna draw fans from all over and i think it it should no matter like if it leans masculine or feminine it's interesting because i think the idea was that by having it be mostly women that you're witnessing in the town that the ponies live in that sort of allows them to be masculine or feminine quote-unquote themselves without having to use that as a comparison with other male characters on the show I don't know. Does that ride for you? Uh, does that ride? <laughs> I'm making up my own slang here, all right? Okay. No, that, okay, yes, that does make sense, yeah, because if you don't see a lot of male characters throughout a show like this where there are kingdoms and I'm assuming some kind of fight sequences, even though I can't imagine they're like... I mean, yeah, I've seen that's... a few, I've seen a few, you know, clips of, you know, like, uh, stuff happening on the show where, like, a, a pony in a cowboy hat was, like, throwing something at a, a wooden wolf. So so basically, it gives a chance to identify personality traits beyond really the saying, like, that makes them more masculine or more feminine. Like, the, mm-hmm. the given is that they're all women, and then these are the personalities that they are allowed to have. So it kind of opens up the scope of how the 
the intended audience of girls is supposed to be able to identify with any of these personality traits and kind of open up against gender stereotypes is really what they were trying to do with the newer show. So for Spike, from where in the original show, the characters still, no matter what personality traits they had, they still felt like they were very much on a more girly spectrum. Mm -hmm. Like everything was much more traditionally feminine, even if they were more sort of action hero-y, so that it created this dynamic that related to Spike being the the gay boy hanging out with his straight girlfriends. Now in the new show, there's it feels like there's a more expanded range of identities for the ponies, and so Spike feels less like a token character mm-hmm. in the newer series to me, and it feels like he's able to inhabit more of his own space, if that makes sense. But yeah, I also, no, no, that makes sense. Yeah, It's interesting because I don't feel like he identifies as queerly to me in the new series as he did in the original series. And I can't quite pinpoint hmm. exactly why, but I find that a curiosity of mine. The other two characters that I wanted to talk about were Applejack, the the pony with the cowboy hat that throws mm-hmm. things at the yeah. wooden wolf. Yeah, that's what I, <laughs> I, I saw a clip of that and I'm like, yeah, she's... Uh... <laughs> And yeah. uh, and Rainbow Dash and so oh yeah Rainbow Dash I of course yeah. am aware of <laughs> <laughs> so you know you, there's also you know Pinkie Pie and Fluttershy oh these names uh, and, oh god <laughs> and you know the these characters could just as easily and uh, or these characters and these personalities could just as easily be queer but because of the way that that you and i relate to our queerness and because Mm -hmm. of the stereotypes of society the the following incident happened at comic-con where they had a my little pony booth and it was an election year and Mm. so you got to vote was this 2016 it was not 2016 it was four years before that okay um so 2012 so you could vote for like i don't think it was which pony for president i think it was just voting for your favorite pony and they had a voter booth that you stepped into and you chose which of the main characters you would vote for Mm. um and then you got a button for the character that you voted for so there wasn't a lot of like voter secrecy going on but when we went to meet up with some friends of ours who from scuttlebutt Inc., which is a great duo for comics. You should check out their stuff. We talked to them about who we voted for and revealed to them our buttons. They asked Lara, like, who did you vote for? And Lara said, I voted for Rainbow Dash. And so the two of them from Scuttlebutt said in unison, the Dikey Pony. And then they asked me, who did you vote for? And I said, Applejack. And they in unison said, the other Dikey Pony. <laughs> And so, you know, it's an interesting thing where the second we see a pony as being, or any character as being tomboyish. Or wearing a um, hat. Or wearing a hat. (laughs) (laughs) We we automatically use that as a way to identify them as queer. And so it's interesting that instead of... Well, if you've caught up on Broad City, it's like March 5th right now. So if anyone's (laughs) caught up on Broad City, they'll understand why I mentioned hats. It just kind of became this thing that underlied and and fed into like the the brony culture and I guess it's just the pony culture. <laughs> I think there was another nickname for women that like My Little Pony. Uh, oh, I've totally so, blinked on oh, it. Oh since. yeah, you're right because we are saying brony a lot. I think it's just fun to say brony. They definitely. Rolls off I the feel like roll. they definitely have the better nickname. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. But while the the series so the series does have some male characters well, and there are instances where when those male characters come around there's female ponies that are fawning over them. I, I don't personally recall ever seeing that happen for any two female identifying or two male identifying characters. Um, mm-hmm. I could be missing a hint here or there, so please don't burn me at the stake, listeners, if I <laughs> if I miss that. I don't remember that being a very obvious part of the the old series or the new series, but it involves a lot of uh, pseudo rainbows, so there's got to be queerness somewhere. I mean, there's so many rainbows in cartoons. Cameras, I know, especially from I mean, the 80s, so it makes yeah. it an easy target for 80s cartoons to be ripe for the, the queering in terms of their reboots. Oh god, I, something just flashed in my head, like a really gritty Christopher Nolan reboot of Care Bears. <laughs> um somebody just sent me a meme about ewoks just being uh care bears that are woke and have like gone to live in nature and (laughs) okay (sighs) Um, i'll have to look that up Um... but uh so so there are comics based on the the my little pony friendship is magic Mm-hmm. A lot of those comics are written or drawn by Katie Cook, who is quite amazing. And then another artist that I'm personally familiar with that has worked on the series is Agnes. And I really apologize up front if I butcher her last name, so I apologize now. Garbowska, G-A-R-B-O-W-S-K-A. Mm-hmm. So Agnes is really great, really sweet. Super funny, uh, has a great way of showing humor in her drawings, and Katie Cook. Don't believe I've met her personally for more than maybe a casual introduction by a friend, but I've been a longtime fan of her work as well. So although there's not any direct queer content, we all know Applejack and Rainbow Dash are out there to represent, so <laughs> we'll kind of, we kind of included it for that subtext reason. Mm-hmm. Subtextual presence. Yeah! Mm-hmm. What is the name of the... Now I'm blank, blanking. The Equestria... Is it called Equestria Princesses or what the heck's it called? (laughs) Equestria Girls? Equestria Girls. I'm just like thinking about that and I'm like, the imagery and everything, it really seems like it was, this is what I mean, everything's fan fiction. (laughs) You know, like it's not necessarily a reboot or gets associated with My Little Pony, but basically like what if the ponies were people, you know? like Yeah. It's it's like an AU fanfic. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it's like. That's, That's what it looks like to me. I mean, yeah, it's interesting because you'd consider it a spin-off. But is if it? It's, do they if ever? It's not is like it a ever? Is it character. like the My Little Ponies walk into a dimension where they're people, or do they just start off as people? Because that's an AU fanfic. <laughs> if they don't explain how they became people, I, I don't remember if they ever touch on explaining it or not. Because, like I said, I had a hard time mm-hmm. digesting the the designs. To be able to watch it. It's a lot. It looks um, like a lot. I'd be interested in in hearing opinions from It's not. I mean, it looks not too bad. It's just, I mean, it's like, I see why it's it's associated with My Little Pony, maybe just for girls who are like, kind of into My Little Pony, but would prefer to play with human looking dolls. You know, Mm -hmm. like maybe. Maybe maybe a step closer to being able to self-identify. Yeah, maybe that's kind of the thinking behind it, which is fine. It's. You know, sometimes people don't want to play with ponies. Sometimes they want to play with girls who look like ponies. The other thing that I haven't been able to pin down, I probably just need to do, like, a slightly better Google search, but I also had... Everyone needs to do a slightly better Google search. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
I also had these kangaroo characters from the toys as a kid. That There were kangaroos in My Little Pony? Yeah, I don't know. Jesus. The other thing about the original series was they actually interacted with humans. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really happen to, to any of my recollection in no. the newer series. No, I... Until they become humans, humanoid themselves. Is that um, in Equestria Girls? Or is it... <laughs> um, Do they I'm become human speculating. in the... Okay. I was yeah. like, hmm. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was another interesting change in dynamic for the reboot. Is kind they of just all the ponies or dragons mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, got it. Talking about the ambiguity of queer presence, there was mm-hmm. another series that we wanted to bring up. That's a, a little bit shorter, but for people who were born in the same year as us in 1986. Yeah, shorter in the amount of time we'll probably spend talking about it. It's not, like, literally (laughs) short. Do you want to introduce the other series that we want to talk about? The Ambiguously Gay Duo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, man. God, that cartoon. I don't know if anybody who's ever watched old SNL or caught, like, the live-action homages to it which they've done a few throughout the years on SNL. I personally didn't know this about the ambiguously gay duo. It did not originate on SNL. Really? No. It originated oh. on the uh, ill-fated Dana Carvey show. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you were yeah. kind of hinting at this the other day. Yeah, and um. it's really it was really interesting to uh, fi- find out why it originated and the origins of the ambiguously gay duo are detailed in the documentary. Too Funny to Fail, The Life and Death of the Dana Carvey Show. You've been trying to get me to watch, and I've been wanting to watch it, and I've, I've Oh, it's hilarious. You and so. it's also just to think that this came out of that, you know, and it was originally voiced by Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert. So, <laughs> that makes it even more amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it basically, one of the writers on the Dana Carvey show, they originally had pitched it as a, they wanted to do a gay parody of Wallace and Gromit. What? Yeah. <laughs> that feels so far Isn't like, that off the yeah, track that from be, what we it know would, it as. Yeah, and, like, it, they, like, originally yeah. were like, what if we did something kind of gay with Wallace? Uh, so can I explain mm-hmm. what Wallace and Gromit is before you continue uh, on Oh, I was going to go into it, but go ahead. Oh, I think. oh um, yeah, no, you go ahead first. So it's originally a series of shorts done by Ardman Studios featuring a inventor who always gets himself in trouble and his dog that constantly rescues him. It feels very Inspector Gadget-esque to me and the the follies that it, that it goes through um, and all masterfully done in stop motion animation. And the people who made it also made Chicken Run, correct? That same yes. studio. Uh, and Sh- uh, Sean the Sheep. And I think the most recent one that they did is called Early Man. And they, they did an event for that at the museum that was just, like, packed to the gills. It was it was really great. Yeah, but obviously they passed on it. <laughs> you know, they're like... Eh. making it Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, well, it was yeah. like... It, yeah, because when they talk about it in the documentary, the guy's like, yeah, obviously that's that... We passed on that idea, but we're like, hey, what if we do, like, something gay with superheroes, you know? So not the gay relationship between a man and his dog? Yeah, which (laughs) I know definitely would have been problematic. Like, that's... mm, No. (laughs) So they uh, decided, you know, to focus on the 
ambiguous gayness of Batman and Robin, which we did discuss in episode one. So I think it's interesting that they use that to create like this really funny cartoon. There's been a long life of this idea that that Batman and Robin are lovers. It's mm-hmm. been sort of reiterated with media to make fun of the idea mm. that somebody would consider that and both like it's, it's like half validating that uh suspicion and half saying how ridiculous it is their episode titles like uh, are in themselves like uh i think one of them's called like the dark clenched hole of evil <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very uh sort of south park-esque mm-hmm. uh like uh the the game fractured butthole yeah um, yeah yeah like that, that a lot of wordplay humor a lot of innuendo, a lot of butt pats. It was able to continue after the Dana Carvey show failed because, you know, it went to SNL and they kept doing it, you know, and then obviously like with different writing teams and stuff or different writers would come on. So I think it is good to remember that for, for series that fail, that doesn't always mean the end of their influence. It always kind of bubbles up in other places that those creative teams are part of. Yeah, we wouldn't have Equestria Girls without My Little Pony. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry to anybody who really loves it. I don't. I don't. Sorry, I'm sorry as well. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just to I'm disrespect. Just, uh, I think one interesting thing about the ambiguously gay duo that I think is just really a testament to how genius the creators were, uh, especially because of censorship. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah even though Saturday Night Live was, you know, over the midnight mm-hmm. hour. Well, well, uh, actually, not even with SNL. Back when, in, uh, you know, it started on uh, in September of 1996. This is ambiguously gay duo, not yeah. SNL. Yeah, no. <laughs> Just to clarify, no, no. For this listeners. is ambiguously gay duo. Yeah. So around 96 is when they aired their first episode, but you know they uh, uh, had a little pushback because of the color of their car, because obviously it's a like a penis. Yeah, so yeah. It, it was, like, <clears throat> flesh-colored, right? Yeah, so the thing is, like, they wanted to make it flesh-colored. So, mm-hmm. basically, uh, the network, you have to color it something else. It can't be flesh-colored. To get around it, they just were calling it peach. <laughs> Do not call it fr- flesh-colored. So, they just they call called it. it peach, and there you go. They have You have the penis mobile. There you go. It was just mm-hmm. because, like, they were like, oh, it's not, it's not flesh-colored. It's peach. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, oh, it's so genius. <sighs> yeah, because it, it would not have worked. Like, that one little detail, like the color of a car, could have been right. it, it the it was the color that made the allusion to what it was representing I mean, there's funny. a lot of symbolic imagery in that, like, you know, flying into the butt of a giant robot, you know, or <laughs> the way they, like, stand next to each other. Today, dildos come in every color, so... Eh, well, you know. Mm. I mean, they probably did back then, too. For me, the other thing about watching it, uh, and I get asked this a lot in terms of sort of what was the first time you were aware of mm-hmm. the word gay or queerness mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. gender nonconformity and that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. it it really, that feels like a really hard thing for me to pinpoint. I don't mm-hmm. have like an aha moment to point oh, back to. But... It wasn't this for me. Uh, <laughs> it was, I mean, I thought it was funny, but that was when I was still in the closet and I think I would... I'd say I was, like, maybe pushing 10, maybe older. I can't remember the exact first time I saw Ambiguously Gay Duo, but I do know that I was young. Yeah. I I definitely, like, Saturday Night Live was a tradition to, like, sit down and watch with my family, Mm. and I I don't remember how young I was when I started watching it, but I was, uh, I think, obviously too young to 
technically supposed oh, to yes. be watching it. Yep. Um, which I think is just how the tradition goes. But the parents mostly assume that if you don't have the reference for it, you're not going to get jokes and they'll just go yeah. over your head. Like from going to a lot of Renaissance fairs as a kid, <laughs> it was exactly that all oh over the place. You and a Ren fair? Oh my yeah. God. Did I, they dress you up? I did hardcore. I dressed myself up. I wanted to grow up to be a jouster. It was a, it's our state sport in Maryland, so okay, you know. I could, I could see Cow you on pop. a I could see you on a little pony. I rode horses for like three or four years. Oh my god, you're so tiny! How did you get up there? <laughs> I was so sad when they told me I couldn't ride ponies anymore. I was like, I have to ride a horse. How do I get on I it? Really, now I really want to see you get on a horse because you're smaller <laughs> than me. I've been trying to get um, Lara to go like horseback or like trail riding with me, which is usually really fine. But she had a she had a bad experience in Girl Scouts doing trail riding, and so she's like, "Yeah, no." Did, I'm did good. she fall or get bitten? Um, bitten by a horse? I, I think there was probably I think there was a thing where like it felt like the horse was gonna go off the side of the trail. Oh no! As it was going down, oh, no. and then there was another incident where. Her and a friend's horse decided that they were either they couldn't. Lara doesn't remember if they were fighting or if the horses were trying to get jiggy with it. <clears throat> um, oh, that's awkward. That is not a horse you want to be on. Say, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to be part of this. In my many years of uh, riding and taking care of mm-hmm. horses as a tween and teen, I never experienced that, so I don't mm-hmm. have the same trauma affecting my my decisions. But where, how did we get the horses? Maybe My Little Pony is just sitting in the back of my head. Um, I mean, you planted... Oh, we were talking about jousting. You were making fun of the fact that I, went, uh, I like going to run fairs. No, I fi- I'm fine with the run fairs. I'm just trying to... I've, of course, I should have known you wouldn't have dressed like... I just imagined... Because you said your parents brought you, so I was like, did they get to choose what you cosplayed as? And I was like, can only imagine. <laughs> like They're like, she's our family, Nina. Fetch <laughs> <laughs> um... her baguettes. Uh, yeah, my mom never really made me wear any clothing that I wasn't comfortable in unless it was oh. uh, going to a fancy lucky, thing where I lucky. was, like, supposed to be wearing a dress. Cannot tell you how many dresses I destroyed <laughs> before my mom stopped trying to put me in them before church. I think that I started doing that much earlier on before I have memories to recollect. And oh my God. I've been told by my mom when I was... Lucky. Like a a wee wee child, mm-hmm. I would pretty much only allow her to put me in sweatpants. Oh, nice. So, or sweats. I guess I was just um, too nice as a baby. Yeah, yeah. Got to be rough and tough. No, I didn't get rough and tough till two. Oh, sorry. Well, you're <clears throat> rough and tough now, so I yep. wouldn't want to mess with you. <laughs> yeah, don't fucking try to put me in a dress. Don't get on. Unless your bad I side. say I want to be in a dress, I'll be in a dress. You don't mm-hmm. get to tell me what I get to do. But I think that ambiguously gay duo, to get back to our mm-hmm. original topic, for me was one of those early experiences where I heard the term gay and mm-hmm. I didn't feel like the cartoons, albeit the idea was to laugh at the queerness, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like they were making fun of the relationship. That's true. I think true. they were just making fun of like the PDA aspect of it, like the public displays of affection. Every laugh line in the show is basically them doing something and then like awkward silence that people around them are just like, what are you staring at? <laughs> and they're like, nothing! <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, they're not like, they're not the butt of the joke. 
as much. It's it's weird. It's it's an interesting concept, but you're right. It's not like, oh, you're gay, haha. That's funny. I mean, maybe some people took it that way, but maybe. it kind of feels more like a celebration you know, of parallel. Subtext. Yeah, a celebration of the subtext. It, fe- it feels like an in joke. Yeah, uh, rather that, than that. Ed, any of. fan of comics gets. <laughs> And then it also feels more like, you know, before I came out, all of my friends apparently knew I was queer. And so I wonder if not as obvious as that, because I wasn't, mm-hmm. I don't know, rubbing mm-hmm. two penis shaped things together. Ugh, in an oh my God, way. don't make me throw up in my mouth. <laughs> Why did you say that? Or like rubbing two like Ugh. buns that look like lady parts together or what? something. Who does that? <laughs> I'm trying to think of an ambiguously gay thing that would be for two women. That's not ambiguous. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's the kind of stuff that they would that's do. That's very direct. But that is not what they would do. If they're cinnamon buns and not like actual human body parts. Oh, and not no. that I would go around doing that. But, you know, the idea of everybody else around you knowing Did what's you going on before you go for around. Me, you asshole. <laughs> You'll have to to uh, take that up with my friend Casey, who used to make uh, lady part shaped cinnamon buns with one of her uh, exes. What? So. What is happening? It's it's easy to shape. Never going to be dough. able to walk into a mall ever again. I don't know. Every mall has a cinnamon. But yeah, I just wanted to to point out that it felt like it was a portrayal of queerness in a well laughing at it in a way it wasn't derogatory it didn't feel derogatorily towards Mm -hmm. queerness and so i didn't create a negative association with Mm. the word and the identity of gay from seeing that when i was a kid in fact Mm -hmm. it was more of a positive uh, experience for me because it was the idea of all of the like the the main characters being oblivious to what everybody else was seeing was the joke and mm-hmm. so that cartoon actually had a positive impact on me and my identity, if not necessarily mm-hmm. direct. Oh, that's it. I didn't realize it had that big of an impact on you. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> I'll be honest. I was like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't think I was obvious of it, but the fact that it was a, a positive mm-hmm. uh, experience around being able to laugh at one's own mm-hmm. queerness. Yeah. It's speaking of ambiguously gay duos... It's time to talk about She-Ra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She-Ra. She-Ra. She-Gay. She-Gay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can turn this. I can. No, I that's can. my favorite <laughs> thing you've said this episode so far. She Amazing. Gay. Hands down. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there, you are like obsessed with the original series intro. So the what intro. is it about the intro? Well, it's got everything I want. It's over explanations, like, you know, like, I am He-Man's twin sister. (laughs) My name is (laughs) She-Ra. I live in a great castle. She doesn't live in a great castle. Well, well, uh, no, I didn't say a great castle. (laughs) I said a great castle. The crystal castle, sorry. Yes. But no, it's just like over explanations. And she also doesn't live there. Okay. Well, she says I live here. No, I'm, I'm watching it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, Defender of the Crystal Castle. Sorry. She doesn't live there. She defends it. They don't let her in. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, I'm joking. Um, No, it's just, it's got everything I love from, like, old trailers in general. Mm -hmm. Trailers, 
promos, intros, because they just don't make them like that anymore, you know? I mean, they definitely give a lot away in promos and movie trailers and TV show intros sometimes. But that whole thing of breaking the fourth wall is so amazing. I think it comes from the the difference in how you experience media now. Like, now Mm -hmm. you can go back and you can watch from episode one. Then you you just, like, came upon whenever the show was broadcasting on television. Mm -hmm. So if it was your first time seeing it, but it was episode 33, you still needed to know what you were looking at yeah and so instead of doing recaps they would just say like here's the intro which is the basic premise of the show everything else should just fall in line after that she's like here's my horse here's my sword here's my friends here's this weird owl thing here's the bad guy here are all my friends standing with me on our mountain This is why I don't do voiceover work. But at all. Uh, but uh, it's just she gave. So, <laughs> so Yes. Um when I was <laughs> when I was watching through the original series when they, they put it back up on Netflix mm-hmm. and I got to talk to our curator at the museum, Andrew mm-hmm. Farrago, because he actually recently did a book called Um Totally Awesome which is a, a history of 80s cartoons. Mm-hmm. And so he, he did a lot of research into He-Man and She-Ra and, and all of that. And so it originally debuted as a, a movie or a series mm-hmm. where they would play it so that when you went to the mall, you could drop off your kids to go see the show. Mm-hmm. And so She-Ra was one of those sort of, like, the, the first couple of episodes was like a mall movie. Interesting. Um, okay. That was also kind of broken up into to shorter segments, which I guess then got re-aired, if not then, on Netflix recently. The rest of the series did get more and more interesting to me. I've tried to watch the old He-Man show mm-hmm. from a box collection that I got through uh, some journalists that I, that I knew oh, um, nice. that I'd gotten it to review and then... They're overflowing with review stuff, so they're just like, take whatever. So I remembered my brother was a huge fan, and I tried to sit down and watch it, and I was just like, I can't. <laughs> as much as I wanted to enjoy He-Man, it was so, like, spoon-fed to you over and over again. <laughs> Another Sorry. person that I came across uh, also shared their their theory that mm. perhaps if you watch it and imagine that Skeletor is actually the good guy and He Man's the bully, oh, that it makes yes. it much more interesting. Oh my god! Um, yes, yeah, oh, I, I have to watch it now. Uh, yeah, that, so no, that, that thank actually... you, Chris, for that that way of looking at it. That's uh, genius. So I look forward to trying again. Mm-hmm. But it, it was really hard to kind of watch it because it felt super simplistic. Uh, like, overly simplified and repeated and spoon-fed. So it was like the intro was the whole episode. <laughs> and it was just so predictable that it was just really hard to watch. I've been told that us, the binging generation, needs to think about the fact that old shows were not watched one right after the other. Yeah. So if you're going to yeah. see an older series... It's probably a better attitude to take and only watch like one or two episodes and then mm-hmm. take a break and then watch some more mm-hmm. the way that they were originally aired because they're a lot easier to take in. Mm-hmm. But then I went and watched the original She-Ra episodes when they mm-hmm. put them on Netflix and I didn't have that same problem. The storylines felt much more grown up from the He-Man storylines. You know, there, there was still some simple stuff and weird stuff. Well, and- they also don't do recaps. 
Yeah. At the beginning. Like, the intro is a really solid musical intro with animation. And you can definitely tell the difference in intros now for animated stuff than from, you know, decades ago. Yeah. Like, now it's just to get you excited. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. A lot of pretty colors. <laughs> and Flashy. Flashy. Um, Flashy. And so, I like, I don't know. I just felt like the, the old She-Ra stuff was just really well- rounded the, the funny thing is in the old chira episodes as mm-hmm. immensely powerful as she is it still didn't feel like her, she was necessarily a queer character just mm-hmm. because she was a powerful woman which is often something that happens mm-hmm. that we were talking about earlier yeah in the first comic i believe was back in 1984 i want to say i think that's, a, that's that's quite possible. Yeah, I'm looking. Well, I'm looking at. Yeah, it was 1984. I just double checked. But yeah, it's called Princess of Power: Disappearing Treasures, and it has the most. This the cover art for it confuses me. But uh, <laughs> why does it confuse you? It looks like Capture stealing like a towel from the palace, and then there's like a treasure box. It's like falling in midair, and she was just smiling. And then there's you she's know, like what's going on? Like, no, she's smiling. She's not concerned at all. Well, if you watch the older shows, Sorry, there wasn't much reason for her to be concerned because all the baddies <clears throat> were just like tripping over themselves. I'm just much. overthinking this artwork. Yeah. It's just, it seems so, she just seems so nonchalant. And I'm like, that's fine with me. But Catra, like, legit, I'm like, if, yeah, I just, out of context, I'm like. Hmm. It's super interesting to me that in the new series, mm-hmm. from, from the old series, when they were going to reinvent it, if I were to guess how, like, where they were going to queer the show, mm-hmm. or where it most naturally fit best to do so, I would have taken Bo and mm. made him queer. There, there was this, There's this one really weird episode in the original one where, like, every time somebody refers to Bo, mm-hmm. they, they do this, like, limp-wristed action. What? Is it was just one episode, and then and in that same episode, he is okay. he gets like girl crazy for Shira, hmm. and so my suspicion is that it's possible that there was this backlash because he was a man who had a big heart on his chest and yeah. his costume, and he yep. was his his abs were still showing under his mm-hmm. shirt, which is totally I love how they play off that in the new show. Uh, but... I like the accents on his abs. I thought that was cute. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so I wonder if it was kind of a way for the studio to, like, joke off the fact that perhaps fans were, or people who weren't fans were saying that he was, that Bo was queer in the original series, but then cover it up. I mean, but to be fair, I mean, He-Man style is almost similar to that shirt. Like, some sometimes he wears, like, the X thing. That Yeah, I'm yeah, he has that, like, um... Yeah, so you can be a straight... Or hetero character. I mean, I'm not necessarily... I, th- I think it was the way mm-hmm. the cut was. If, yeah, uh, no, definitely. It's ever, like a midriff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's more like a midriff. It's more like hinting mm-hmm. at his abs instead of just being like bare and exposed, which is actually maybe not as as sensual as the the allure of the hint. You know, of- I we need to study the I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt music video a little bit more <laughs> to get an idea <laughs> of what's too gay. For a shirt coverage, we must we must figure out the equation. Is he too sexy um, for a shirt? It's been shared with me that uh, as 
far uh, as we know from the animators that actually worked on the show, mm-hmm. uh, as far as the people who actually created the animation, there was no particular thing in mind for them to try and send a message or do anything in particular with the show. Albeit it has like really weird PSAs after a certain amount of time. They mm-hmm. add this character, Lucky, that Oh, hides. you're talking about the original. Yeah, back okay. in the original, yeah, there's like, a I character don't... named Lucky. that hides in the episode and you have to see if you can spot them and then at the end of the episode they're like oh did you see me in this like when it panned over this part of the background and I was hiding in something that looked like part of what I look like and then you're like no until you're like yes I saw you every damn time Mm -hmm. and then it tells you some weird PSA that may or may not have anything to do with the episode I don't don't like carrots <laughs> I'm joking. I don't know. If but they're good for you, so you should eat them anyway. Yeah. There wasn't any particular agenda or even, you know, thought about what they were or were not representing. They were just trying to make a show and make it successful enough that that way they could continue to take home a paycheck and continue to to animate it. So there there wasn't any particular social forward goal in doing the the original show. Okay. Yeah, and I do I do like that. I believe she's making a um Oh, sorry. I'm talking about she I'm th- I've got she on the brain. I can't speak too much about though, but um I I was just I forgot to mention that I believe they they did bring her back in the new DC comics, She-Ra. Oh, that they're, yeah. Yeah. For the new series, so do you want to talk a little bit about the the queerness that you saw everywhere in the new series? I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So, in the new animated series, like, the thing that I like is that, one, the decision to make them look less like adults back in the 80s and 90s a lot of cartoons the characters looked full-on adult mm-hmm. you know, yeah and especially they totally do. and obviously it was made by mattel so basically all the female characters had the same body shape the same skin tone they would have different hair they had different hair they had different costumes that differentiated them and that was ultimately because making toys was more expensive and it was easier for them to make more toys and then if they like have a similar the- <clears throat> base mold, right? Yeah, so it was all about having a base that would work with multiple characters so they could sell more toys at a cheaper cost. So mm-hmm. it's like it wasn't really about so much about just, just having white characters on a show. It was more about money, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously that's less of the goal now. I'm sure that the streamlining process for toys is better now, like as far as production I mean, costs. yeah, the, the manufacturing technology that we have... Is, is such that it can no longer be an excuse for not having inclusion in shows. Exactly. So that's one thing I like is that there is diversity across the board for how... And, and I like it because the characters all look different. They do do uh, feel like homages to the previous versions of the characters. Like you <laughs> mentioned with Bo, his costume does match a lot of what Bo's costume was in the original. And I don't wear midriffs, but I like his outfit. <laughs> I I was like I I couldn't wear that, but I would also love to cosplay as yeah. as Bo. Yeah, almost, you know, like maybe partly because I just love his character so much. Yeah, no, he's yeah, him and Glimmer are really fun. Mm-hmm. Well, they're all really fun. I like uh, I like them all, but uh, <laughs> it's also they have two of my favorite uh, actresses in it. Lauren Ash is in it, and she's from um, I don't know if you saw a uh, uh, Super Fun Night. 
No, sorry. Oh, man. I disappoint you always. It's Super Fun Night was a Rebel Wilson show, but it didn't run Mm. very long. I think it's really cool because she plays a character named Marika who comes out and she's also like super into this character that's like Xena in the show. Mm. Yeah, it's really it's really awesome. But anyway, I have to find it. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. But Lauren Ash uh, plays Scorpia in in the show. And Which then, is also one of my favorite characters. Oh, in the new I show. mean, honestly, I can't really say that. It's hard for me to d- decide who's my favorite character in Shira. To be honest, I like them all. And then uh, Vela Lavelle, who I don't know if you watch Crazy Ex Girlfriend, but she's in that. She plays Heather. It's like almost like the way she speaks as her character, Mer Mermista. I'm like yeah. totally blanking on yeah. it. The way she talks in the show is like basically the way she talks in Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Like it's the same vibe, and I love it. I I do love that too. I think it's very interesting that they went the direction because this is it's She-Ra and the is it the Princesses of Power? Yes, yeah, Yeah. and that they went that direction about like women coming together to overcome obstacles. You know, there's often stereotypes about uh, female-identified people just when like coming together, Mm -hmm. not being able to work together because of being bitchy or catty mm-hmm. and um so i appreciate the the stereotype defying message that it's trying to send yeah and the fact that like adora was like raised one way you know which she ends up discovering was it she was a working for the good guys you know and she yeah she that. was working for the horde yeah. and being trained up under the horde mm-hmm. to become a uh, force captain and mm-hmm. then when she finally gets it and gets out in the the field she realizes that what they've been told all along is not what she's seeing happening in front of her. Yeah, so then she ends up in Etheria having to do the opposite of what she's been taught her whole life. Mm -hmm. And I I really love the twist on the sword and the stone aspect of it. It's not a guy who finds a sword and becomes this all-powerful thing. It's It's a young girl. Or how I don't know how old they're supposed to be. I don't know. I I think they're like tween or teen aged. 15, 16? Yeah. Somewhere between there. But uh, I mean because they have a prom so I'm yeah. like the princess prom. I'm like I don't know. <laughs> which uh, is such a I think episode. I think that was just an excuse to put Catra in a suit, which was amazing, yes. and to have a dance sequence. <laughs> <laughs> that whole that whole episode was just a lot of feelings. A lot of feeling. Yeah. I I think it, I do like the uh, the way that they made Catra like actual like an actual cat person, and that yeah. I, it was so adorable. Like when. Like, they show her, like, sleeping at the foot of Adora's bed. It, it is interesting because they make... The original Catra is cat-like in the way that the original Catwoman was... Kind of had, like, cat-like yeah. aspects, too. Yeah, like the, but she was the very much a person. The way the makeup was was kind of, like, mimicking cat eye glasses and mm-hmm. stuff like that and the the yeah. mask that she wore actually like catra's transformation sequence in the original series whenever she turns into a, a cat being but during battle which never works out for her yeah we're just uh she's just uh she can be a cat person and we're yeah. all gonna have to deal with that and they're never really gonna explain it. <laughs> <laughs> it it creates so many like great humorous moments in the show and making mm-hmm. it actually much more lighthearted than the original as well yeah yeah, I do. It's definitely more lighthearted. The other, but ca- cartoons were very serious back in the day. Do you remember watching the X Men? Yeah, that stuff was hardcore. I'm gonna make you cry. I'm gonna make you cry. Anyway, so um, <laughs> you know, so so there's kind of a hint at relationship between Katra and Shira, mm-hmm. and we're we're 
we're not really spoiling this or too Adora. much. This stuff, it's technically Adora. Yeah, sorry. I sorry. know Adora. I, I get, and I've been Katra corrected on it. And it is. It is interesting because yeah. in the original series, Adora is She-Ra. Mm-hmm. That's just the mantle that she takes on. Whereas yeah. in the new series, Adora turns into She-Ra, who is not the same person. It's so, so yeah, it's trippy, but. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. So there's like that really weird dual identity thing. And I think there was a moment, I can't remember if it was in the finale or an episode before the finale where they get done with the big battle and everyone's kind of pairing off into their respective friendships or romances and kind of like not celebrating or hugging or whatever. And Adora's just by herself. To me, it didn't Mm -hmm. feel like that was a sad moment for her, but. Well, I think, I think, I can't remember if she makes eye contact with Katra. As Catra's mm-hmm. like going away or something, like leaving yeah. the battlefield. Well, that that was just a huge spoiler. All right, guys. No, 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 not for me. I'm saying for listeners. All right, sorry, um. guys. <laughs> I'm I'm trying not to spoil it too much. But all I can say is that basically the way they put Catra and Adora at odds. I mean, I know that like it's easy for us as like adult queer people to look at it and be like, "That's gay," and I know I make my jokes. But we do, in the end of the day, we do have to understand that it's for kids. So, I mean, I do like the fact that it works in dual ways in an appropriate manner. You know, like, it's not... Because for kids, I'm like, I feel like it's approachable. You know, it's like, they're not like... It's not like they're full on making out and, you know, doing it. You know, they're hinting at like, oh, they have a close friendship. And I'm like, you know, it kind of mirrors when you're growing up. Sometimes you're at odds with your friends and you're close to them and... I think that's also why I like Glimmer and Bo's relationship a lot because like when Bo gets a girlfriend, Glimmer's like all upset. Right. It's yeah. where how do you balance the difference between having somebody who's your friend versus somebody who's your romantic partner and and like with friend being like a bestie, you know? And I, I think that was interesting. I was gonna say I, I appreciate that you have a male and a female being friends without it being like a, a gay boy and as like the, the gay male friend being like the safe person yeah for them to be it around. didn't feel like that at all and uh, yeah. that's why i like the when Bo was like when the other girl expressed interest in Bo, and it was interesting to see glimmer kind of be jealous but ultimately it's about their friendship mm-hmm. it wasn't about her being jealous romantically which i mean it could have been but she was talking about friendship when like she was yeah i mean i think it's important to acknowledge that friendships can be just as important as romantic relationships exactly and that there's space for both of those things as Mm -hmm. uh, at any age or as a teen or adult because Mm -hmm. i think a lot of stuff skews with kids moving towards adulthood that like everything's gotta be about romantic relationships and centered on that because that's the thing they're like can't wait to be part of but i will say i had that same feeling with uh, Adora and Katra where the breaking up-esque moments felt like they could have fit either for a romantic ex of mine as well as uh, friends who kind of decided they didn't want to be friends with me anymore and mm-hmm. yeah. and how much that that hurt or how much I've kind of moved on from friends uh, who may have been toxic to me. Yeah, like that and it was the episode where like they are stuck together i mean mm-hmm. i won't i i'm okay with spoiling things on the show but that episode really hit me because mm-hmm. you know I've definitely have friendships where it's like you don't always see somebody else's side and then when you do it's like you're like oh shit i was totally yeah. wrong about that and that's why that person's like that but then ultimately the end of that episode is really kind of where things turn so the the last thing i want to mm-hmm. touch on for this and maybe there's a little bit more that you're well yeah there is one thing element of it because like we yeah. talk a lot about the subtext of 
uh, of the show, obviously, between Catra and She-Ra, or, or mm-hmm. Catra and Adora. See, I'm doing it now. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, because, like, they do have such a close relationship at the beginning of the show, and then to see that, see what happens, to see them be on opposing sizes is, is uh, kind of what drives the drama, you know, towards the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but there are actually gay people in the show. So yes. there's, a, there are, um, uh, it's, it's brief, but it's there. It's brief. It's towards the end. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there are two, uh, rebel princesses, Natosa, uh, who is uh, voiced by a uh, crystal joy Brown and then Spinnerella, who's actually voiced by Namal Stevenson. Yeah. So, because I was watching the whole show and I knew that it had been nominated for like queer awards and stuff and I was like, okay, is it nominated for like the thickest subtext award? <laughs> uh, um, like, cause I gotta like, I'm in a fog of subtext. There's subtext rainbows hit me in the face every time I turn on the show. No, and then they kiss and they hold hands and I'm like, oh, that's cute. So yeah, I don't know if they give out a subtext award, but maybe they should. And and I think we're we're definitely making a lot of progress with mm-hmm. kids aimed audience animated television series mm-hmm. in terms of queer representation. But I, it's it's such a it's still such a sticky wicket of like when are you allowed to start talking to kids about queer identities and um, you know for for a lot of people like it's it's an identity like you should be mm-hmm. able to talk to them about it from the very beginning and for well, other people it feels explicit. Yeah. And I think it's it's important for that um to be shown. I mean, I wish I had seen more. I wish I had cartoons like that when I was growing up. I did not. And uh I just had Xena. I mean, we all had her. <laughs> but she wasn't which a cartoon. Didn't, which is not a cartoon, so that's Yeah. Get out of yeah. here. <laughs> uh yeah, it's not a cartoon. I wish it was. But uh, I mean, okay. Settle down. Sorry. I'll stop. God. I have to come over there with a spray bottle. But <laughs> Yeah, uh... <laughs> we just bought spray bottles to keep uh, Leia away from Vader's food and stuff. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and when people see something gay, they just automatically relate it to explicit sexuality. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be. It can just literally be what it was in She-Ra, where it's just like a clearly happy couple that, you know, are affectionate towards one another that's it you see it you know it's happening they're part of the story the end it's not explicit it's not over the top that's really the whole point of it is right not to be yeah. like super like this is gay look at it it's interesting because it it kind of forces the point of you know what what defines queerness in mm-hmm. one way or another and i i think that there's a long time where it's like it was just like you know, who you want to do your your mm-hmm. funky business with. Oh that is God. the worst way to say that. Please don't tell my wife. Um, <laughs> I'm sending that to her. That's going to be your name ringtone. <laughs> Funky business. Stop um, You know, and, and, you know, and that's the only thing that should matter. And any sort of outward behavior or uh, other affection doesn't play into it. And, mm. and there's a lot of, I know for a lot of straight women, being very close physically with other, with other women is a part of their friendships and does not make it a romantic relationship yeah. for them. And sure. then there are also asexual couples where mm. it's not about the the sexuality really or sexual acts it's it is about the romantic feelings yeah and so it's trying to figure out how do you how do you explain that to somebody that's having a hard time sort Mm -hmm. of 
coming to grips with queer identity. Mm-hmm. They made the right choices in yes. this show, for sure. I will also say I appreciate the little, like, nose strips they put on all the characters, because I think that just nose makes everything strips. adorable. Do you get it? Adorable? Ah! Uh, I trolled you all. Boo! <laughs> oh! I can smell that cheese from here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stinks. So, is, is there anything else you kind of want to mention about uh, She-Ra? Watch or it. Or She-Ra and the Princesses of Power? Watch it if you haven't. Watch that! She-Ra. Oh, oh, I forgot to tell you what I hear every time she invokes the power of the sword. Oh, what is that? Is this in the new series? It's in the new one. Yeah. Because you know All how right. when she summons her sword, she says, for the power of, uh, for the honor of Grayskull, right? Mm-hmm. All I hear in my head is, for the power of gays, y'all! <laughs> Every time. Every time she transforms. <laughs> that doesn't really feel like it, it fits in the same it pattern, but sure. Sure. It fits in my pattern. <laughs> she gay. She gay. <laughs> Whatever makes you smile. One of the things that was kind of controversial, but that I really enjoyed, is the queer representation that appeared in Voltron, Legendary Defender. Voltron in the US uh, was Voltron Defender of the Universe, which started in 1984. It ran for 74 episodes, and it was actually based on a anime that was called Beast King Go Lion. It was done by an animation studio that was looking to adapt a uh, Japanese animation series for a U.S. audience. There were some samplers. I believe if I if my sources are correct, Beast King Go Lion was not supposed to be included in that sampler, but it was. And so they actually, the studio didn't really like the, the other stuff that was in there, but they really loved the Beast King Go Lion. I'm going to say this as many times as I can. I know. Um, I, it's very, it's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming sentence. It is. It's a mouthful. Beast King Go Lion. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, okay, okay, chill the part. I'm like, okay, I'll go, I'll go lion somewhere. The That's- idea that there were like lions that formed this giant mech, uh, you know, that, uh, I think that was just like a really cool concept that mm-hmm. they enjoyed. I always enjoyed in the older series that when the mech formed, that the Voltron had these very luscious robot lips. I thought it was interesting, because especially, like, even though robots don't have gender, you know that most Uh, mechs people are going to identify as being masculine. um, I would like to cite Westworld. Uh, I know that in the Transformer community, there's a lot more discussion about gender representation in the, the robots that are presented, and I think that's super awesome. So I enjoyed that here too in the original series. I thought it was interesting that in the new series, uh, they took away those luscious lips. Um, oh my! I don't know. I'm not sure the reasoning why. I don't know if it was if this is weird calling robot lips luscious. <laughs> That's okay. Um, but everyone's got their thing. Yeah, they don't open. I don't know. They're just there. <laughs> it never speaks. It doesn't say. Anything. Okay, keep going with the thing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> go into a dark place. <laughs> so Voltron Legendary Defender was mm. a reboot that started in 2016. Mm. It ran for 78 episodes, so four more episodes than the original uh, U.S. adaptation. Mm. And it was done in eight seasons on Netflix 
um, over I think like three years. So eight um, seasons it's really, in three years. Yeah, it's really weird for me to think about that now. Like a season is just like the batch that they release it in. Yeah, as opposed to being the annual set of the show. Yeah, it's crazy they um, do so many in such little time. It is. It is. I'm. I'm curious what the production mm-hmm. is like for something like that. Yeah. Um. So from the from the old series to the new series, uh, in the original series, there's no uh, real outward acknowledgement of queer characters or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I always identified with Pidge. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not sure who Pidge is, he's the green one, uh, and he was the smallest one, and he was uh, probably one of the smartest ones was also. I, was, <laughs> but he was a klutz. Wait, oh, but that's in the original. Yeah, so oh, in the okay. in the original. Okay. Um so in the original Pidge uh was green. Mm-hmm. Uh the other thing from the original that I always found very confusing as a kid was that the princess her costume was pink, mm-hmm. but her lion was blue. And so I thought the whole point of their costumes was that they match their lions and so why doesn't she get the blue costume when she has the blue lion that's okay they got it right in power rangers that's all that matters yeah well they so they kept that uh conflict in the new one um but they also kind of trade lions back and forth so Mm. it feels like it makes a little bit more sense that their costumes don't match um bunch of lions swapping hippies (laughs) um (laughs) But despite the fact that in the original series, uh, Pidge was uh, identified to us as being a male, Mm -hmm. I still really identified with Pidge because of being small, Mm -hmm. um, being smart, but being a klutz, Mm -hmm. being underestimated, um, but still being able to, like, come through and be part of the team um, and be a big part of the team, not just, like, a a sideline thing. Um, And glasses. and glasses, yes, mm-hmm. and wearing glasses, mm-hmm. <laughs> very important. Um, so for me, it was I wasn't sure how to react when in the the new series they actually revealed that Pidge is a female character in disguise, so as not to be identified as as who she is from her family because she ran away, um, and so. On one hand, I was like, yay, one more female uh, representative for the, the, um, for Team Voltron. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because at the, other than the new Katie, who's Pidge in the new series, there's Mm -hmm. just uh, Princess Alora. And so there was a sort of imbalance with gender representation um, in the Voltron force. so I was like, yay, like more gender equality. But at the same time, I felt that Pidge was this way of being uh, a male character that wasn't in, in any way like traditionally very masculine. So mm-hmm. the original Pidge felt very uh, sort of either gender queer or gender nonconforming to me. But uh, it, it's obviously all in subtext. I think it also helps that Pidge is voiced by uh, Bex Taylor, Taylor Kloss, who's the uh, who's queer and and mm-hmm. is there anything else that uh bex has been in that you think well influences? uh scream uh the scream tv show on i think it was mtv i didn't watch it interesting i know like i wasn't i just wasn't into watching it but 
Bex had you seen anything where Bex mentioned uh, Katie not only being like a female character on Voltron, but plan- sort of like voicing the character as being queer uh, identified? I... I actually I can't say that I have heard anything about that. I just know mm-hmm. that um, that's that's how Bex identifies. But uh, and, you and, and I have talked about and and in previous shows talked about how actors or whether they're live action actors or voice actors can sort of change or like add weight to the fact that a character is queer, whether or not they're written that way because of how I that mean, actor sees them. When they're not physically on screen, it's a little harder. But like there are mm-hmm. some cases where it's like. I always go back to Ellen Page. If it was Ellen Page voicing Pidge, I'd be like, Pidge is gay. Um, <laughs> Bex, I'm like, Bex, I, I think it's more fluid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, and that's fine. And also, another thing, Bex also was in a, a show called The Killing, which mm. is a crime show that uh, is that I'd recommend if you're into crime shows and haven't watched it. The, uh, they show up in the uh, third season, I believe, uh, mm. playing a character named Bullet. Speaking and, of and they, crime and drama, and yeah, as a queer <laughs> no. character, so they're they're gay in that. Um... So Bex has has brought their queerness to other characters. Well, I believe play. that was um, um, the uh, uh, the first major role. So, and that's kind of hmm. what was the launching point. It, it, great performance, though. So, yeah, so, I'm just so, like, of course, I'm like a horrible <laughs> fan of this. Actor, because like I've only seen The Killing, I haven't seen Voltron or the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. Uh, oh well, uh, Bex was also in um, the Arrowverse as well. Oh, I yeah, I might... have to. Well, Bex has been in a lot of stuff since The Killing, but mm-hmm. uh, in Arrow, uh, Bex played Sin. I'm not, I'm not familiar with that particular character very well, so I'll have to. Attend. It, it was cool to see Sin and Sarah Lance hang out. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, was it very? Was it very? Uh... I'm not gonna say it wasn't but let's move, let's just move on i just wanted to give a shout out subtext i just wanted to say like if you haven't seen arrow or you have seen arrow you might have seen bex as sin in the show and been like oh that's where i know her so it's interesting with animation because you you don't just have like a single like a, like a writer and then a, a single actor that's portraying the character visually you've mm-hmm. got you know the original writers you've got the animators you've got the voice actors you've got you know editors and you have editors in live action as well mm-hmm. but it feels like more people have to be agreed to do queer representation within the animated series for it to actually come through yeah than yeah. in in other instances so it has to be a queer group effort yeah because whereas in supergirl no one can control katie mcgraw's cheekbones <laughs> but in animation well put, well put. you can <laughs> so speaking of cuties we can talk a little bit about shiro so shiro is the original pilot of the black lion and the original leader of the 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 Voltron Force, and he, he kind of he disappears for a while, and you're not sure what happened to him. Eventually, like they bring him back. I'm trying not to spoil stuff as much as I can. It, it's okay. We're gonna spoil Shiro's storyline on Voltron. <laughs> so if you really are invested in that and haven't seen it, tune out because it's yeah. important for us to talk about right now. Yeah. yeah, I mean the other thing is I just don't want to take forever to to go through backstory that may or may not be important well we don't i mean yeah we don't have to we can do that on another episode yeah, uh, yeah. so um so yeah so won't 
won't spoil it this time around um, okay. for the sort of storyline for okay. Voltron Force, but in terms okay. of Shiro, um, late in the, I believe it was the seventh season, they do a flashback to when, so Shiro in the start of it is on an expedition and then they get captured and then eventually he makes it back to Earth and then that's when the, the lions are discovered and you know Voltron comes back and all that and so they do a flashback to when he first comes back to Earth after being uh, captured they have a scene where he's like in the barracks and they have him talking to and talking about this character named Adam who it's very clear from the dialogue that Adam is his significant other I don't remember them doing anything where they like romantically show interest in each other mm-hmm. in a way that like friends wouldn't comfort mm-hmm. each other physically. And so there was this whole buildup of when they were going to release like somebody's gay on Voltron and there was all this suspicion and a lot of people mm-hmm. were like, it's going to be Pidge. And then it was, and then it was Shiro. I did expect and- it to be Pidge. I mean, I don't even follow the show, but as soon as I heard that, I was like, it's going to be Pidge. Pidge is gay. <laughs> and, then, so, and then it turns out to be Shiro, who's mm-hmm. one of my favorite characters, like the, the strong but steady, silent but, but heartwarming leader has, like, he captures my heart. They kind of do this flashback and show his relationship with another man basically falling apart because his feeling that he needs to go back into action and, like, fulfill uh, his duty and to... Shiro does, or... Shiro does, does, and uh, Adam is trying to, like, talk him out of it. And so their their relationship falls apart, Mm -hmm. um, but... And here, I'll do the spoiler alert. And Mm. so people were really upset about that. And then the eighth season, at the very end, I don't know if it was fan play or anything, but they did one of those sets of scenes like they would do after 90s films Mm -hmm. where they're like, and now this person is doing this, and now this person is up to this, and Mm -hmm. this person is uh, flailing into obscurity with this, or whatnot. Um, and so they, they show Shiro getting married to another man, mm-hmm. um, in that sort of, in the, in those cutscenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't, they don't talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. And so it's always interesting to me. I'm like, what's the reason for only going so far mm-hmm. and not just diving into it? But uh, yeah, I'm and, sure and you could rant about that. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think we, we should mention that Adam I, I've only seen him ever referred to as fiance, so they actually did get married, or no? Like, well, I, I think they were engaged to be married. That's okay. So they were only ever and fiancés, it, yeah. And let's just say it ends abruptly, mm-hmm. uh, and it was because they had promised this LGBTQ uh, representation, and then it's revealed. Like this, I know about the show because I read a lot of articles <laughs> about it because it was uh, all over the internet when it happened. Like. Um, Adam dies because <laughs> uh, it's revealed that he was killed when the Galra attacked Earth. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And a lot of fans were not happy about that. And there's just, uh, I mean, I'll post links to, like, the articles that, because, I mean, it got it got so bad that the showrunners, like, released, like, really lengthy apologies on social media apologizing to fans, you know, about the decision. You know, yeah. and that was the most disappointing part is because it had all this potential to be something that, I mean, yeah, I didn't watch the show, but like from what I gathered, it's like when you have a character on a show like this have a fiance, mm-hmm. that's huge. And it, it's it's interesting. I think if they hadn't made such a splash out of it, oh, yeah. from 
in, in from a marketing perspective, it's basically like they oversold it and it's queer and that spoiled it. And it yeah. and it sucks because it's like a show that like had the trust of its fans mm-hmm. and they perpetuated something that basically does fall under the queer baiting thing and that was just unfortunate because I know that Voltron has a huge following and I'm glad that they addressed it, you know, like on panels, you know, and had a an apology, but in the end of the day that doesn't reverse what happened on the show, and it's just mm-hmm. unfortunate that that's a part of the show now. So my wife, Flora, told me that she had heard through social media that there was going to be a queer ki- character on mm-hmm. for the, that season, and I usually try to stay away from marketing because I feel like it really, more often than not, spoils my experiences with media. It creates all these promises that may or may not be fulfilled. And so instead, I try to just sit with the media on its own outside of the the pomp and circumstance surrounding it. Mm-hmm. I still feel like it was shortcut, but I don't think I would have been nearly as upset if it weren't for the marketing frenzy that surrounded the fact that there was going to be a, a queer character. I mean, it's marketing and the... I mean, like, I know what you said, three... It took them three years to get nearly eight seasons mm-hmm. but like you have to mind fans have watched all of that leading up yeah to it. it's still so it's pe- still 78 episodes yeah even and if that's it 78 episodes that the fans have been with the show and then this happens and i can't that's happened i've known that feeling all too well so i can only imagine what they felt and it's not good it's not a good feeling i am happy that they at least had shiro and adam together and they mm-hmm. did establish that that a relationship exists because acknowledging it is huge in itself, mm-hmm. because nobody can say, oh, well, they were just friends. Because that's right. what people do when you don't outright make it official in a show. And that's... right. That's It, a- it legitimized all this. I, I know there's, like, fan fiction and mm-hmm. fan art that oh, followed yeah, obviously. the announcement, and so there was this whole world that was built out of the official acknowledgement that wouldn't have happened if they had done it in a subtext way, you know? I mean, to be honest, the fan fiction would exist had it been acknowledged or not. I mm. mean, and but to have it in a cartoon between two men established that they had a relationship, yes, that was a big thing. So, and Shiro in the um in the original cartoon, what what was Shiro like? Do you remember? Or I, I think he was just like the the quiet masculine. Like I, I don't mm. remember him being nearly as as sort of soft hearted. Okay, and gentle. Mm. I think he was just more traditionally like masculine and quiet was he more of an introvert in the original show i believe so and he's still an introvert in this show he's very much in his head and he only sort of comes out of that when he needs to to be a leader yeah i don't know he's he's very well-rounded and human in this show it very it, it just feels very well written and executed but i just don't think they sort of gave it enough space and time to let the fans become part of this whole inner world yeah. that he had from his history and his past. I think it's hard with uh, shows that are based around battle and action. Like, they would have, like, a couple of episodes where they're battling and then a couple of episodes where it's, like, stuff happening while they're regrouping on the ship or in between the battle scenes episodes, which are actually usually some of my favorite ones. That For some reason, they decided not to give that relationship the space that it deserved on the show yeah and it, i um, mean i i do think it's nice that they released in a accompanying like there's like a, a voltron legendary defender uh comic book series but um yeah. or you know i've read some of them i haven't read all of them mm-hmm. yet 
the rest are on my stack, but I, before we did this, I made sure to kind of flip through and try to sort of breeze through and spoil things for myself so that Mm -hmm. I could say, you know, from that review of the stuff that I hadn't gotten to yet, I didn't see any exploration of Shiro's romantic relationships. And I believe Mm -hmm. it's because the comics take place, if I remember correctly, in between earlier seasons. Mm. And so, I mean, that doesn't necessarily excuse it because his relationship with Adam happened much earlier in the storyline. Yeah. It just gets revealed during season seven to the viewers. It was it was pretty much all focused on the action in the additional comics from, yeah. from Lion Forge, which I still really enjoy, and Lion Forge is a great mm-hmm. new publisher, and, but it, and, it wasn't uh, a, a space to... Whether you show his fiancé or not, uh, Shiro is still gay, and that's important. Still gay! And that's important. <laughs> he gay! He gay! He gay! This is gonna be um, a problem. He gay! What? He gay! <laughs> <laughs> just remix it all yeah um so i mean it, and again like I, I still love the show for all the other aspects that mm-hmm. it has um queer or not and so i don't regret watching all 78 episodes um mm-hmm. and i i look forward to seeing sort of what other um remakes of our nostalgia come through with better mm-hmm. representation for a more diverse populace. Are there any shows from your past that uh, we can pull in as extra credit? Do you wish they would remake and, and uh, sprinkle some rainbows on? Well, uh, in the spirit of this episode, the first thing that came to my mind was Eureka's Castle. Oh my god, I forgot about that show. And I'm like, and I, it was like literally the first thing that came to my mind. And that's what like was a... gay about Eureka's Castle, Jessica? But now I'm like, fine, make it gay. Like, Eureka's <laughs> castle, this is Eureka's girlfriend, deal with it. Um, it was, like, part puppet, part animation, I right? know, and I'm like, but honestly, like, when I looked at that question, I was like, Eureka's castle. <laughs> it's like, fine, do it. Do it. Because you can't do it with snorks. <laughs> or Fraggle Rock. Uh, I think Fraggle Rock could do Fraggle it. Fraggle Rock could be gay. But yeah, yeah. can you imagine the snorks? Oh, that would be so... Awkward. That would be very, like, ambiguously gay, too. <laughs> yeah, it would be. But, yeah. Uh, I guess, I, you know, honestly, like, Eureka's Castle is probably my um, joke answer, but uh, I I think more seriously, X-Men. <laughs> I just want a gay... I just want the X-Men to be gay. Yeah. And, and you know, there's room there. And oh. I, I think it can go beyond Deadpool. Oh, yeah. There's acres of room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For and sure. at least Marvel's making <clears throat> headway with uh, with representation in Young Justice. Oh, they're so making it's like hope a, yet. Yeah, it's like a tortoise. <laughs> anyway. uh, I did see a desert tortoise today. God, you're just the queen of tangents. <laughs> I have ADHD. I can't help it. I saw a desert. How did you see a desert tortoise? I was at the vet. It was it was Tuesday. It's the day the uh, I think it's a. The herpidemiologist, is that for, for reptiles, was there. So there were snakes and tortoises, and uh, there was someone cuddling their bearded dragon. Mm. It was adorable. Um, but speaking of adorable mm-hmm. creatures, uh, I would have to say if I was going to remake a show from my childhood and bring it back with a little extra sprinkle of queerness... Uh, I would do the Disney's uh, gummy bears bouncing here and there and 
everywhere. Oh, Our God. Our are beyond compare. They're the gummy bears. All I'm thinking of is the gummy bear bit from Robot Chicken. <laughs> I'm so happy because I'm a gummy bear. <laughs> gummy bear. Have you seen that one? I don't think I have. But, oh my um, god! Just the gets, way it, your reinterpretation is. That's fantastic. how they. So it's a gummy bear skipping along a hill, and then it gets its leg caught in a bear trap, and it starts screaming. I'm not going to scream on air, but <laughs> and then it 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 like chews its leg out, and it's like, oh, I'm delicious, and then it <laughs> skips along, and then it hits another bear trap. It's my favorite bit. It's so good. Uh, maybe I'll link it. Just for fun. So, uh, for anyone who's not familiar, I'm not familiar <laughs> with gummy bears. Um, the 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 story, according to Wikipedia, is that Disney CEO Michael Eisner uh, got inspiration for the show because of his son's request for the candies. And in the series, uh, as we spoke about with My Little Pony, it takes place in a pseudo-Renaissance uh, fantasy world of the Middle Ages. Wait, I have seen this. I didn't realize and... those were based off of gummy bears. I just looked at pictures. I've totally seen it. I just thought they were regular <laughs> bears. <laughs> but they, they're gummy bears because no! they have the magic of gummy berry juice God, I never... that makes them bouncy. Okay, and bouncing fair. solves all problems. True, but I... <laughs> To be fair, I was very young when I saw this. I literally expected to see gummy bears. Oh my god. It, oh, it's blowing my mind. I just thought they were different colored bears. Um, <laughs> wow. So, so the the inspiration comes from the the candy gummy bears what? and um there was so there was one character, mm -hmm. you know, the the 80s and 90s were the era of, like, tough-as-nails tomboy girls, and so I fall into that stereotype of, I think, one of my very early kid crushes on kids' media was for um, Sunny Gummy. And Sunny Gummy was the tomboyish preteen gummy bear. And she dresses um, like Robin Hood. Yes, who dresses like Robin Hood. Mm. Um, and so it I don't know what kind of stuff it would be, but it would probably be a lot like She-Ra. And the the other thing that I think would be a funny twist, so they've got... Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the Robin Hood cartoon movie, like the outfits and yeah, the animation yeah. style. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Disney. But. What I think is interesting about a lot of the, the ones that have reimagined series is that they don't play off of the existing stereotypes in the older ones in terms of the way that they queer them. Mm -hmm. And they've kind of, you know, say you're expecting them to go left and they go right. Watch mm -hmm. the way they zigzag. You bob, they weave. <laughs> you know, in the, in the older one, there you could kind of claim that there, there could be a queer relationship between Gruffy Gummy and Tummy Gummy. So Gruffy Gummy is basically like the Ninja Turtle Raphael. He's just the the angst machine, and uh, Tummy Gummy just likes eating a lot. He's just but an the... angst machine. <laughs> he feels all his feelings. So um, um, yeah, I don't know. They're like, I I feel like it could be adapted, and I think Noel Stevenson would do a great job with it. Oh, the so. gummy. <laughs> And I, I don't know if Noel if uh, Noel has any affinity for gummy. You know bears, what I so. want Noel to do? Um, what? Uh, can uh, I want her to do like uh, I don't know if she can incorporate if they can buy the rights and like incorporate it into the show or 
do a completely different one, but She-Ra, when it came out, you know, it it was a toy line. It had the competitor was Golden Girl and the Guardian of the Gemstones. What? Yeah, there was like a toy. Whole... no idea. Yeah, there was another toy line uh, that I found out when I was researching the episode, and it wasn't as the successful because that line of toys didn't have a cartoon. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I know that that was like totally yeah. the tactic with Transformers and everything else was just like yeah. make a cartoon that's basically like a living advertisement for mm-hmm. the toy line. Yeah, and I'm like, I get the tactic, but sometimes those mm-hmm. those cartoons can be good. <laughs> yeah. So. No, I, I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to find it and watch it. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Wait, it's not a it's not a cartoon though. The gemstones. Oh, oh, that's right. It doesn't have a cartoon, yeah. so I can't watch it. Although when I first saw the name, I was like, "Golden Girls." I know. <laughs> the Guardian I know. of the Ge- Golden Girls and the Guardian of the Gemstones. Like, make that a fanfic, mm-hmm. please. Well, Noel already kind of is because each princess has a gem. <gasps> oh my god! She's like twenty steps ahead of you. <laughs> Uh, okay, so no. maybe maybe your dream has already come true. Maybe it has, and I didn't even realize it. For once, For no, once I I don't realize that. a lot of things. I'm uh, I'm oblivious. <laughs> forever, forever oblivious. That would be my the title of my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was I writing a book? I had no idea. <laughs> and the subtitle is "Never Ready, Always Anxious." Yep. Yep. <laughs> Sweet. So, if you have uh, any ideas as our listeners for uh, your favorite nostalgic cartoon shows that you wish would be brought back and given better representation for the queer community, hit the forums, let us know. We're excited to hear from you and what what Mm -hmm. you're curious about. Also, if there's any reimaginings of uh, shows that you want to bring up and chat about that we weren't able to touch in our time here, obviously Mm -hmm. we don't have all the time in the world to talk about uh, every single thing that's out there, but uh, that's what forums are for. I'm just going to say forums. Go to the forums. Go to the forums. Mm -hmm. Two forums. (laughs) We'll see you there. Bye-bye. Bye. Queer Comics Podcast is a part of the Geek Therapy Network. It is mixed and edited by me, Jessica Vasquez, and co-produced by Josue Cardona. Today's podcast also features original music by Tyler Francis, so if you like what you hear, make sure to check out his Bandcamp page, linked in the description, or follow him on Instagram at TylerIRL underscore. Make sure to subscribe to Queer Comics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and check out more shows in the Geek Therapy Network at network.geektherapy.com. Cactus. Cactus. Poke. Poke. Store water.